Welcome to Staying Connected, a podcast where I talk to other people about their stories with feds or vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Staying Connected. This is your host, Katie, and before we get into the show, I want to remind you that the views, information, and opinions in these podcasts are those of the individuals involved and do not represent the opinions of the Marfan Foundation. The Marfan Foundation is not responsible for and does not verify for accuracy any of the information contained in them, nor does the information constitute medical or other professional advice or services. This show is not produced by or affiliated with the Marfan Foundation or the VEDS movement. I hope you all enjoyed our last episode featuring John Kyle, a man with VEDS living in St. Petersburg, Florida, who has two kids that also have VEDS. Today, we're going to talk to Karen DeCourcy, who lives in North Carolina and finally got some answers when she was diagnosed with VEDS after a family member was. Thank you so much, Karen, for sharing your story on the show. I really appreciate it, and I loved talking with you. Let's go ahead and go to the interview. Hey, Karen, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and sharing your story with us. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody who's listening? Sure, Katie. Thanks for having me today. My name is Karen DeCourcy, and I'm so happy to be here today to share my story with everybody out there to raise awareness. So where are you? How old are you, if you're okay with sharing that? And when were you diagnosed with VEDS? Of course. Right now, I'm living in North Carolina. I'm originally from New Jersey. Um, I've been here about eight years. I turned 46 this past January, and I was diagnosed. It will be now going on four years. So it was just four years, actually. So 17 was when I got diagnosed, 2017. That's when I got diagnosed as well. Oh, okay. Same year. So how were you diagnosed? How did that come up? So my brother um, was the first one to be diagnosed in our family, and because, you know, he wanted all of us to be aware and you know, because of our father dying at such an early age of an aortic aneurysm, he really encouraged the rest of the family. There's five children that my father had to be, you know, tested as well. And um, we, we did. And um, my diagnosis, let's see. So I, I got tested pretty shortly thereafter, and I was confirmed VEDS on March of 2017. And that was probably, I think he was October October of, of the prior year. So Mm -hmm. yeah, so not, not long after him. So when you got that diagnosis, did it make sense? Was it something that like when you first heard about it for him that you thought you might have, or how did all of that feel? So when my brother was first diagnosed for whatever reason, he and and his son were also, um, you know, positive for VEDS. And being that my father was also probably, you know, probably had a diagnosis of that, but being that he passed in 86, we will never know. The first thing that dawned on me was, could this just be a male genetic, you know, disorder? And um, being that I knew nothing about it, and he tried to tell us and inform us of everything, and he was very good about it. But I, I prayed and hoped, could that just be, you know, a male thing? And my sister, who also lives here, was diagnosed as well um, before me. So that kind of was like ruling everything out saying, pretty sure because you know, like the question you just asked, yes, it did for me describe a lot of things that happened my whole life that were very unexplainable and like very much a mystery to me to doctors, uh, 
you know, I hate to say this and I'm not, you know, saying anything bad about my family, but they thought I was a complete hypochondriac, you know, a lot of my life. Um, but being that my dad had such a quick and sudden death at the age of 49, I was, I always erred on the side of caution saying, well, could this happen to me? And the doctors always seemed to be pretty, you know, against that. No, no, no. You, you know, um, but I would still demand certain tests and do these crazy things, you know, that, you know, I remember my brother saying, Karen, you don't need to do those things. You know, you don't need, you know, and I'm not saying anything that it was, a, you know, it, it, it made me probably crazy at the time because I have high anxiety. And so it, it did fester. And, you know, a lot of doctors would say, you have certain things as such as fibromyalgia, or you have um, possibly rheumatoid arthritis, you know, because of the joint pain. And so everything was a question. Well, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> I relate so much to that because there was a lot of things that popped up here and there throughout my life before my diagnosis where I, I did the same thing. And I kind of, um, for me, I kind of obsessed over it and had a lot of anxiety over it. Each time something new would pop up, I'm like, okay, which test do I need? Like very obviously to me, somebody was missing something, but mm -hmm. nobody would take it seriously. And they would just kind of like try to appease me by doing a test. And it was like, we'll just, we'll just see. And then of course nothing was there because they never tested for VADs. So what other kind of things, you mentioned the rheumatoid, maybe rheumatoid arthritis because of joint pain, you were diagnosed with fibromyalgia, like what other kind of things did you go through prior to the, your diagnosis? So I always suffered with chronic headaches. I wouldn't say migraines because at the time I didn't even know what a migraine really felt like. And then they would continue to get worse. For me, it was unstable joints too. So I had a lot of issues starting in like high school because I played sports. So, you know, I mean, the average person that doesn't have VEDs probably could have had the similar, you know, um, falls and whatnot, but I always seemed very clumsy as well. And, you know, constant, you know, torn ligaments, um, stress, frac stress fractured ankles. Um, I mean, you name it. But the, the one thing that I will say that stands out the most is the bruising was always very prominent for me. Um, and I would say, this is weird. You know, I don't even remember hitting myself or the other component would be probably the blood vessels, you know, like where if you would probably the average person would just hit their hand and be fine. Mine would be like a blown up balloon with, you know, blue and all these other colors. And it, it was concerning, but again, you know, not knowing, you just assume, okay, maybe I'm just a little more fragile than others. Mm -hmm. I would say, Katie, the other thing, a little bit, not a lot, but because I'm such a huge self-critic, um, the veins, the visible veins, not my whole life, obviously, because it, you know, gets a little bit more as we age. Um, it was always around, you know, my chest area or my arms and stuff. And I would compare myself to the rest and say, this is interesting. Like, I don't, I don't look like my friend. I don't, I don't understand, you know, but then I'd say, again, maybe this is just me. This is how I was born. Never once did I ever think that the, there was, there was certain other issues and I'm trying to, you know, figure, um, looking back now that I didn't know, um, that I was later, you know, found out along with just 
you know, everything else, but joint pain, all of that, some stomach issues and stuff, but I was later confirmed celiac. So I never knew about that. So had a lot of undiagnosed issues, thyroid, you know, all these things that I never knew I had along with major anxiety and depression. Yeah. So how did it feel getting that diagnosis of VEDS then when your test results came back? Very scary. Um, You know, I was at work that day and I'll never forget it at the time. um, I was at a finance company that I was working for and our auditor was there of all days to get a call like that. And I went into the back office and it was one of the geneticists that Michael, my brother, put me in touch with. And when she told me I was confirmed, I thought, like, it's like you see your whole like life flash before you. And, you know, I certainly didn't look at it as a death sentence, you know, but I will tell you one thing, Katie, right then thereafter, I didn't sleep for quite some time. I thought every night this was, you know, and, and because of anxiety making it worse, it, um, it was tough. I mean, I, I tried not to go on any, you know, pages of <laughs> Google or anything that was, you know, encouraged to me. Um, you know, but, but it explained a lot. So I know that that was sort of a relief in a way that I wasn't crazy (laughs) all those 42 years of my life or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I really feel that too. That was a, when I first got my diagnosis, it was devastating, but it was also this kind of relief that there was actually something there and I hadn't been obsessing over nothing or Mm -hmm. anxious over nothing all of those years. So how did you get through that period of time? So, you know, it was great to have obviously family support, um, being that my sister here has it, my brother and his wife, they're great. And, you know, they shortly thereafter did a lot of research, you know, family history, and it's, you know, very, um, apparent in a lot of our family members that we did not know about, which is which is interesting. I, I had support and I also, you know, seeked it out, you know, or sought it out, excuse me, from professionals because I needed it. You know, I needed to talk to somebody and really kind of get a handle on things because it was for a little bit taking over. And um, I thought, you know what, this isn't the death sentence. This is something that I will learn how to live with and I will be positive about because you know, just like anybody else, we have to live each day to the fullest. And, you know, we never know when it's our last turn, you know, so I did, um, you know, it, it kind of came in waves. I'll tell you that much, Katie, because after the diagnosis, I was, you know, pretty much fine. And everything that was unexplained now was explained because I was able to tell doctors what was going on. And then it was probably um, two years, it will be two years ago, this October, that um, I had an incident where we're still trying to figure out what it exactly was. Initially, the emergency room thought it was just a kidney infarction, um, which is scary, obviously, and it was very scary. But still to this day, after, you know, post scans and, you know, um, the doctors aren't convinced that's what it was. So I'm still sort of scared that that will happen again. Cause I don't want to go through that. Can you describe like what happened? What did you go through with that? So the night before the day of me going to the emergency room, I was having, um, pain in my stomach, but it was more like, I felt like I was 
getting like sick, like the flu or, you know, because of celiac, if I eat anything that's not agreeing with me, you know, I'm in the bathroom and I'm not feeling good. So I just chalked it up to that. And I thought, well, okay, this is going to be one of those nights. You know, I did it to myself, but it wasn't, you know, I woke up the next morning and I said, I don't feel right. And it was my bottom right area of uh, where my abdomen is. And I couldn't get out of like a hot bathtub because it was just so, so painful. And I thought I need to go. And my boyfriend brought me to um, the doctor. I didn't even go to the ER at the time. And I just thought maybe kidney stone, you know, I, I didn't know. And then she thought appendix. And then because of how miserable I was, she said, we can't wait to do like a scan. And they know my history, of course. And so they, luckily they sent me right over and it's across the street. And because of the diagnosis, I was seen right away. Thank God. Now, you know, it took a while to figure out and, um, but they did, um, scare me because, you know, emergency room doctors, he didn't really maybe understand EDS, you know, beds all that much. And when he came in, he told me that I had a kidney infarction and, possibly would need a stint and blood thinners. And that's how he described it to me. So I thought, okay, uh, (laughs) that was scary. You know, and I thought, well, wait a minute. I I don't even like, I didn't know which end was up at that time. And they you know, wanted to keep me for observation. I started to feel a little better, not great. Um, But when they came in the next day, the vascular doctor came in the next day and he was like, no, 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 that's, that's not the, um, the protocol that, you know, we're going to use. I mean, they did an echocardiogram, they did all these tests and I was released. Um, and I had follow-up scans within, I guess it was so many months. And because of the way they describe an infarction, I don't know too much about it. Like the tissue basically dies because I lost like 50% blood flow at the time Mm -hmm. on the top right kidney. Um, and I was told that the tissue dies, but that wasn't the case on this scan. Like it was actually, it was resolving itself a little bit. So the doctor and my cardiologist, they weren't convinced that it was even VEDS related. So to this day, I don't know. And that's actually, it, it that was sort of a bump in the road for me, if that makes sense. Yeah. Cause I was like, I felt like it was a repeat of all those 40, you know, three years or however many years it was prior to my diagnosis. So I just had my repeat scans, you know, yearly and it was, they were okay, you know, which was exciting, but still confusing. Yeah. So, so I, and I'm, you know, again, going back to what I said earlier, I try to stay positive, but I'm very, um, try to be very proactive as far as if, you know, I have ever have a pain like that again, I am not going to mess around with it. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds incredibly painful. Like, and very scary too, like not being able to get up out of the, out of the tub or anything. That Mm -hmm. sounds very scary. It was. So how, how are you otherwise like you're, so you've had scans since then. And, um, you know, prior to this too, like when you got your bed's diagnosis, right? Mm -hmm. Is everything ever, did it show any like prior dissections or anything that you didn't know about or? Never, not yet. Thank God. Um, nothing has shown. It is. It's good so far. Um, and so I pray that continues. I do have the head and neck scan, um, very soon here 
And um, so that will, will be like the telltale, you know, cause I'm still getting migraines all the time. I mean, and um, you know, those kind of things, it's, um, it's just something, unfortunately you just have to live with, you know, and you know, you, you know what you need to take to, to sort of get by and, you know. Yeah. So I do know some other people I've talked to with vets who also get migraines. What are those like for you? So mine are, I guess you would call them like cluster headaches and they, um, gather like on the, either the right side of my head and, um, or between the temples and the, the, um, they're like tension headaches, mm -hmm. um, or the top of my head. And sometimes I don't really know what they're, you know, what's causing them. I don't know if it's like stress. I don't know. Um, I don't know what it is. Um, I was recently put on some migraine meds for my primary care physician, which I was thankful for because other, you know, otherwise I, I wasn't getting by. I mean, I was missing work. I was, you know, cause they were that debilitating. Yeah. So they, so the medication seems to be helping. Oh yes. Tremendously. And if it doesn't work, then I know it's not a migraine. It's, it's gotta be sinus related or yeah. Well, it's really great to hear that, like, that's helping and also that your scans, like, I can't emphasize them enough, like, how happy I feel for you that your scans were Thank you. all good. Like, that is really fantastic. And hopefully that um, the kidney pain or whatever that was doesn't come back either. Mm -hmm. but, I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. So if you... If you were giving advice to somebody else who is going through a diagnosis, um, maybe they're just now finding out that they have it or they think that they have it. I mean, you've had your diagnosis for about four years now. What, That's what right. advice would you give them? So the first part of what I would encourage them to do is not listen to anything that is not told to you by a doctor or geneticist that specializes in VEDS. Um, don't be Googling, don't be reading stuff that may not be true. I would also tell them to be proactive, you know, speak with a geneticist, get a good um, vascular doctor, cardiologist, um, whatever it is that you need, be prepared. I would say, you know, like I have done, you know, I wear a bracelet. I keep with me in my purse all the time, you know, the vascular card and, you know, the information with what the syndrome is and, um, you know, have everything tied to my cell phone. I have, um, you know, if, if I have to go to the hospital, hopefully that's not the case, then I have it laminated, you know, telling the doctors what's going on in the event that, you know, maybe, you know, I couldn't speak for myself for whatever reason, you know, just be prepared, be proactive and, um, know your body and, you know, know the warning signs, um, so that you're not caught off guard and that, you know, what's happening at the time. So, you know, this is why we do these things. This is why we raise awareness, you know? Yeah. I love that. And I'm all about emergency preparedness. So your, your words like really ring, ring true to me there it sounds very similar to oh. i don't know for for me it's um and it, it might be the same for you maybe a little different but i feel like if i can prepare for as much as i can and i have those kind of redundancies in place with the emergency card with the bracelet with stuff on my phone then i've done 
you know, like everything I can do and then it's off my mind because I know what I'm going to do if something bad happens and I can That's like right. live my day a little bit more freely without worrying about it so much. That's exactly right. And um, it sort of, you know, lifts that level of stress off of you so that you can live stress-free. Yeah. And that's so important. I mean, like that's just, is such a heavy diagnosis to carry alone as well as all the anxiety and stuff that can come with it. So it mm -hmm. is, I think, super important to do as much as you can to minimize <laughs> the For amount sure. of stress. Yeah. I wanted Absolutely. to ask you something earlier too. Um, how does it feel knowing that you have family members with this? Like I don't, and that's something I guess I'm curious about because I don't have family members. Like I'm the only one in my family, but you had your dad pass away and then you have several family members, including your brother who are diagnosed. So how does that, how does that feel? Oh, so it's, it's interesting to use that word to start with because it's it's just amazing i should say to know that we've lived this i mean this long and not known about this um because we do have several family members that are you know second and third cousins that have had dissections and have had these issues that i mean they must have just been floored what happened why am i why is this going on um, maybe they thought, you know, it was their father's history, or maybe they thought it was something like that. But I even recall my cardiologist seeing my sister and I for the first time, he, he even did it together. And he said, I'm really shocked to see because my sister's two years, my elder, he said, I'm, I'm shocked to see two women who are healthy this late in life in my office with beds. So it's interesting and shocking in that respect. Um, it I do take comfort in knowing that um, we can lean on each other for support. My brother and his wife, um, she does not have VEDS, but she, you know, being that she has a husband and son that have it, she has done so much research and you know, so much for our family, which is fantastic and I couldn't thank her enough. But because of that, she has, because it's sometimes hard to live inside of the diagnosis. So I sometimes defer to her and she knows sometimes more than I do. And I, you know, it's, it's amazing. And so with that being said, it's, it's sort of like we're a team in that respect, you know, which family is anyway, um, you hope yeah. that we all are, but, you know, it certainly has brought us a lot closer, um, you know, and it's, it's certainly worried, you know, made a lot of us worry a little more too, um, especially our mother. <laughs> But, yeah. you know, it's just knowledge is power. And um, you always find knowledge and power in numbers. And that's the way I look at it. And, you know, if there's any positivity in that, you know, we all have our, you know, superpower. If that's a positive <laughs> way of looking at it, you know. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. And I really hope that, you know, someone listening to this feels less alone in their, in their diagnosis or in their story, if they have a family member who's diagnosed, I just really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story with everybody. Well, Katie, I appreciate you and thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Thank you.
Thank you everybody for listening in today and a huge thanks again to Karen for sharing her story on the podcast. I hope you all enjoy this show. I just love you all so much. I love this podcast and I love all of you and I just, I know I sound like a broken record, but really it would mean so much to me if you shared this show far and wide to help us raise awareness of vets. Thanks so much for doing that. Be sure to subscribe to the show and stay tuned for the next and final episode of this season on December 18th. We'll be talking to Christopher Underwood, a man with VEDS who lives in New York and wasn't diagnosed with VEDS until he was 52 years old. Thank you so much again, and I will see you soon.